Hi, and welcome to Producer Says What. My name's Pierre Jackalone, and I am speaking to you from Hopetown Sound Recording Studio in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Uh, we've got a lot to catch up on. It's been a little while since we've done a podcast, and I feel like that's the beginning of every episode, but that's kind of the way it goes. I'm real busy working, and then I get a small break, and so I do a podcast episode. In this case in particular, there have been some big changes since the last episode. Namely, uh, we were displaced as a studio, <laughs> which was no fun at all. Um, but it's, you know, it's the lemons we were handed, and, and I feel like um, you know, a lemonade has been made and it's pretty good. Um, but basically, um, my family moved down to this area of Pennsylvania, which is right over the border from New Jersey, about an hour North of Philly. Uh, in 2008, we did it for the schools, for our children. And it was a wonderful move. Uh, this is a great area. We actually didn't move here for this reason, but it turned out it has an amazing music scene here. Um, it, Doylestown is very close to New Hope, Pennsylvania, and Lambertville, and there's just incredible. Uh, there's an incredible amount of music happening around here. So it's been actually a fantastic place to open a studio, and and fun things have happened here, like. Zane coming in and just camping out for three months and, and uh, working on uh, you know, an album. And, you know, things that probably, that definitely would not have happened in the middle of New York City where he had options like Electric Ladyland. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this has been a great move overall. We, when we first came down, we rented our house. It was on a pretty large property in a beautiful area. And a year after we were living there, uh, we ended up, uh, I ended up renting commercial space that was on the same property uh, for the studio. And that's where it was. Uh, we um, Actually, it was a little more than a year later. We lived there for 14 years, had the studio for 10, 11 years. Um, and it was big 3,000 square foot facility. Most of the pictures on the website were from you know, that facility. Uh, but the owners, uh, well, the, one of the, there was a couple, the, the man died years ago. Um, and the widow finally decided she didn't want to be a landlady anymore. And she sold the property. And, um, but we had a very short window to have to find a new place to live and pack up and move. So, um, yeah, yeah, we did that to the best of our ability. It was pretty much a nightmare. Uh, we found a new house to live in very quickly, uh, thankfully, um, on the other side of Doylestown. But uh, a new uh, business situation was a little more difficult. Um, you know, we were in a in a uniquely beneficial situation in the old space in that um, the rent hadn't gone up in many, many years. Uh, it was sort of a deal with the landlady that she didn't fix anything and the rent didn't go up. Um, I know that's a little TMI, but it, it's the reason why I explain that is um, what we, as we approached the 2022 housing market, what we found was, you know, a house alone was going to, even a good deal on a house alone was going to cost the same as we were paying for the studio and the house before. So, um, you know, basically uh, our, you know, the game plan for Hopetown Sound 
was simply, and for our family, was uh, simply that our youngest son uh, is a sophomore in high school, and you know we, we managed to move. The kids had to change school districts, but we managed to move to a good school district, the Central Bucks, and the kids are in a great school, and actually they're having a wonderful experience there. But we need to stay put to stay in that school district, so we're going to continue renting our current house until our youngest is out of high school. And then the plan is to buy uh, a house that's you know, hopefully just over the line to a less expensive school district, but a place we still want to be, and really put down some roots, get a place that has an outbuilding and where I can really do the studio you know, in a more permanent way. So that's the plan. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the get by <laughs> is um, the house we're renting right now had a two car garage. And I can tell you it was depressing doing the teardown of the old place, very depressing. And, and coming in, looking at this small space and thinking, how am I going to make this work? Um, you know, I, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. There were some low moments. Wasn't sure I could make it work, but, um, in the end, uh, it actually went really well. I mean, yeah, it's small, that's for sure. But, uh, there were some upsides that I wasn't expecting, which was, um, one being that, uh, the concrete flooring in the garage is fantastic. Uh, you know, nothing resonates, um, speakers aren't, you know, the, the speakers don't resonate the floor, the floor doesn't resonate the walls. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the amount of acoustical material that I had in a 22 foot, um, control room before, uh, is really fantastic in a, in a control room, half the size. And so the upshot is I'm actually getting a more like the most, uh, neutral reproduction I've ever gotten in my life. Uh, you know, my mixes are translating better, uh, and it was a really happy kind of, you know, accident result from from the move. Um, and so that's that's great, and that's something I'm really, I've really been pleased about. Uh, and also, you know, um, I've done this enough times now that I was able to, you know, create a vibe in the new space, and it feels great. Um, and we've already had, you know, the first new client walk in the door, and I got the same wow reaction that I got from the old place. So that felt good. Uh, so in addition to there being a control room, uh, we managed to squeeze in uh, a vocal booth and the vocal booth manages to have enough room for, to sit down with a guitar. And we've done one of those sessions already in here and, and it works out. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a little closer to the road than I would like. Um, so it's a little bit like recording in New York city, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we occasionally might have to do a retake for some squeaky breaks out on the road or, or a plane flying overhead, but, um, but it's been working pretty well. And, uh, we've been doing a lot of vocals, uh, with, uh, you know, with Matt Friedman, who we're still banging on, you know, banging out his amazing, uh, debut country album. And, um, that's been so much fun. Uh, and again, like I said, there's been a couple of uh, other, uh, some new new artists in um, uh, Ray Raddick, who sings with Matt Friedman, came in and did a vocal for her project. Um, Rachel McCullough with Black Cat Habitat, who I've worked with before, um, came in and did some vocals for a project she's doing now. And uh, so it's been good. Uh, it's been real good. And we've been mixing and mastering Matt's stuff too. Um, 
and uh, you know it, it's it's comfortable in here. Uh, couch, you know, we got the artist couch going on, the whole thing. We got the teapot. You know, it's it's cool. It's been funky, um, but uh, so yeah. It's been interesting coming up with solutions. Uh, it's funny because uh, even in the old space where we had all the room in the world, you know, just for efficiency, and not only efficiency, but just because it's been such a, a darn good solution, uh, a lot more music production's been happening in the box with direct recording anyway, you know. Um, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, uh, like I've been really getting into uh, Superior Drummer 3, um, by Tune Tracks, it's amazing drum composition software, and, and I think that's the appropriate uh, term for it because it really isn't drum programming. It, it's um, it's an incredible piece of software. It's just uh, you know, there's all these um, uh, packages you can buy. Like uh, we got, um, well, we've got a couple of them. You know, we've got like a Nashville package and and you know rock package and and where it's just you know a particular producer recording you know incredible drums in an amazing studio and with you know multi-miked and uh and and then they get hundreds of midi loops uh, and you just have you know uh, lists and lists of like verse patterns and and you know pre-chorus patterns chorus patterns intros bridges outros you know fills and um, and they all they tell you what tempo they were originally recorded at, but they're MIDI, so you can have them be any tempo. You know, they just snap to whatever your project tempo is, and um, and you just sit there and audition them and drag them down to a timeline, and you build your drum track. And um, but it's all it's all performances from real drummers. And so, I mean, realistic, it's, it is realistic. It is. It's a real drummer. And the nice thing is, is that, um, you know, you build your track and then in one click, you can break out all the drum mics to separate tracks uh, in the DAW. And in my case, uh, I can then take those separate tracks to separate channels on the API analog mixer too. And that's awesome, you know, too. And, you know, they've got things like... Um, you know, close room mics, far room mics, uh, bounced off of tape deck mics, you know, not mics, but, you know, tracks. Um, there's just uh, there's so many cool, uh, you know, options in this software, and it's so editable and customizable. It's really fantastic. So I've been doing, you know, a lot of work for people using that. Um, and And sometimes it's just compositional. Sometimes it's you know, make a loop to get a track down and then later put real drums over it. But, you know, in this case, uh, you know, I've more and more uh, I've been using it for finals and it's it's just amazing. You know, again, you can get a pattern going and then sit there and cycle through, you know, kick drums and snare drums and, and or stack different snare drums. I mean, there's just there's just so many ways to get the sound that you need. Um, so that's been that's been a lot of fun. And then, you know, the whole staying on the vibe of direct recording, um, I mean, I've been recording a lot of direct bass anyway, um, but even though we have a real Ampeg B15 amp, which is here, I use it, I love using it, but for a long time now, um, I've also been very happy using uh, the uh, the Plugin Alliance uh, Ampeg 
uh, amp simula simulations. Um, in particular, the one that I love the most is just the simple um, V. Uh, is it it's V4, VB4? I forgot which one it is. Um, but y you know the classic one that the Stones used. And um, I tell you what, this is silly. I got it right here. I'm going to tell you. Uh, yeah, VB4. Yeah, you know it if you saw it. It's the old one. Um, and funny, even though like they do a B15 and they do some other amps, for whatever reason, in the simulations, that's the one that works the best for me. Um, it just sounds the biggest, the realest, and you know, it's got the nicest breakup to it. Um, so for a long time now, you know, uh, I've been using that anyway. Um, it's just very convenient. Um, so, you know, record a DI bass and, and then, um, either duplicate the track and add the amp or not, or just, just add the amp. Um, so, uh, so that's fun. And then the big one was guitars, of course. Um, and that's tough. You know, I mean, guitar is my first instrument I've been playing since I was seven years old and, uh, we have a great amp collection. And uh, lately, even before the move, uh, I, I got a Strymon Iridium. It's great. I love it. Um, you know, it's got uh, its own version of, uh, of Fender Deluxe uh, and then a Vox and then a Marshall. And each one of those has three different cabs that you can choose from and you can download third-party cabinets and I, which I haven't even bothered to do yet but um, you know it, it really sounds good um, it, it's not I would say it's not on par with an amplifier but it's awfully good and I had already used it on on you know a few um, sessions um, and the nice thing is like it can output in stereo um, so that's that's cool I'm happy about that, but you know, in the old studio, I had the option. It's like that if that worked, great. But I, if you know, if it wasn't working, I'd mic up an amp. And so in this situation now, um, I could mic up an amp, you know, and I and I did when I first moved in. But uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Matt Dorsey, what's up, brother? brother <laughs> uh he is my bandmate in matt friedman's band uh, i've been sitting in, in and playing not sitting in i've been a member of the band i've been playing uh organ for matt on gigs which is funny because i don't really play keyboards but you know with country and rock sometimes uh the guy that doesn't really play keys is exactly what you want on organ because then they won't overplay <laughs> so uh i'm really i'm really playing leslie more than organ but uh but it for the style of music it actually works pretty well i think but um but my bandmate matt dorsey who's playing guitar in the band um loaned me his universal audio ox and uh ox and if anyone's not familiar with that, I mean, they've been out for a while now, um, but if anyone's not familiar with it, uh, it's it does two things uh, incredibly well. Uh, the first thing is your basic uh, power soak. So you, you basically, uh, you take the speaker out from your any amplifier, you plug it into this thing, and then you take uh, the output of that to your speaker, and very simple. Uh, and then and there's a, there's a knob for speaker level. And uh, so you can crank your amp up and get whatever tone you need out of your amp and then send a lower level to the speaker uh, so you don't you know, blow your brains out uh, or your microphones. And um, so that's great to have like right off the bat. Um, but the thing that it does that's really helpful to me now here 
is uh, you can also take a stereo line output from the aux and it communicates over Wi-Fi to an app on the computer. And in the app, in the app, you can choose cabinet simulations and you can record through that stereo line output direct. And and there's a whole huge library of different uh, you know speaker cabinets. And not only that, but um, you can choose different microphones. Uh, the default is, uh, I mean, you can do one mic or two, um, and then you can choose between, you know, a uh, 57, a 421, uh, a Royer ribbon mic, and I don't know what condensers they're, they're simulating, but a condenser. Um, and, uh, and then they also have uh, a room mics that you can use as well. So, um, you know, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's... So I haven't. I've. Uh, I loved it. You know, when I borrowed uh, the Matt's uh, ox, <laughs> uh, but I loved it enough that when I returned it to him, I bought. I bought one. Um, so we now have that, and um, I've done a little bit of recording with it uh, with our Marshall um, and uh, JTM forty five, and you know, it's great. It's great to be able to crank the amp up. I, I also did some with uh, with our boogie. Uh, you know, Mark V. And uh, it's it's fun. And the interesting thing is, like, you know, I find the amps really do work best with the appropriate sim of the cabinet that should go with that amp. You know, I mean, you can get creative. You can try ones that weren't meant for it. But funny enough, it's the ones that were meant for it that really work, that seem to work the best. Um and, you know, what I would say is, um, does the cabinet simulation sound as good as miking up a real cabinet? No, it doesn't. And that's just a fact. But it does sound really good. <laughs> and, and on top of that, you know, it, unlike the Iridium where you're simulating the amp and the cabinet, in this case, you do have the full flexibility of dialing up the amp, you know, exactly the way you want to. And that really helps tremendously. Only simulating the cabinet really helps a lot. And there's hope that, you know, maybe the cabinet simulations will get better and better. I mean, they're all, they're very good. They're very, very good. But uh, I think what I find is missing is just a sort of sense of dimension. But, you know, it does help to use the room mics. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm a little spoiled because I had a, 2,000 square foot live room. So room mics were incredible. Like, you know, I could do two different, you know, uh, layers of room mics. I could do, I could do like tw 15 feet away and then 30 feet away. So I am spoiled in that regard. Um, but it, it's, uh, but it's pretty, it's pretty darn good. And it really, it's, it's more than enough. It's enough to get the, get the job done. Um, and, and to have that flexibility to be able to swap in any amp, you know, I mean, that's great for, for me because, we actually have those amps um, you know, to, to have that flexibility. So anyway, um, so that's fun. And, you know, of course, keys, keys were always direct anyway. So, uh, so that's good, too. So my point being that, uh, you know, we're still able to do a lot of music production here. Um, you know, there's a singer-songwriter uh, named Derek Marshall who's been working here for a few years. And, uh, you know, he's... He's a really great guy, and he, he will just come in with lyrics and humming a tune and let me take it from there. 
and I'll present him with a track and then he'll, you know, sing, he'll just do his vocals over it. And that's the way we've been working and we've been turning out some really great material. So I've already, uh, you know, gotten, uh, well, I wrapped up a song that was already begun before the move, but I started a new one and that's just about ready for him to sing on it. Uh, that was done entirely here uh, with all of the things I just mentioned. And it sounds great. I'm loving it. Uh, so so that's a lot of fun. Um, all right. Well, uh, other than that, um, I just I, it's just worth mentioning that like the work that we've been doing lately with uh, Matt Friedman has really been incredible. And Matt's been doing so well. He's getting so much uh, attention uh, for the music he's putting out, and deservedly so. It's it's fantastic. Uh, he just released a new single, uh, "Best Beers Yet," and within like the first week he, uh, on Spotify, he had twenty thousand uh, streams. and uh, And believe me, it, it is attracting attention. He's getting people approaching him, and um, so that's that's a lot of fun. And um, you know, we've still got a we've still got a way to go on his album, but we've we've been chipping away at it, and and it's been it's been going really well. So um, be looking out for him. Uh, we're doing uh, his next gig in this area is uh, at the New Hope Winery on December sixteenth, and you can go to their website and purchase tickets online for that. Um, and we did the same gig last year. It was a lot of fun. It's a great venue. Um, sound is fantastic. There's not a bad seat in the house. So, um, so yeah, if you're in the area, uh, please come on down for that show. Uh, but otherwise, um, yeah, just keep an eye out for Matt Friedman because, you know, that, that boy is hot and he's, I, I got a feeling he's going to really take off. Um, and frankly, uh, that doesn't make me much of a prognosticator because he already is. So that's good. Um, all right. Uh, let's, let's move Let's move on. There's so much to cover because it's been a long time since I've done one of these things. Uh, there have been uh, the other uh, relatively new acquisition. Uh, this was made before the move uh, was we got a new Mac uh, for the studio. Uh, it's the it's the Mac studio, funny enough. And um, I got the uh, what is it? The the Max version, not the Ultra version. There's a one chip and there's a two chip version. Uh, frankly, this thing is so ridiculously overpowered. I did not see any reason that why I needed the two chip version. Uh, so uh, we got I got the one chip version. It is still a ten core on a single chip. Um, with uh, I got a slight boost on the GPU. I got a thirty two uh, gig GPU and sixty four gig RAM. And uh, you know the thing is just amazing and screaming and it's fantastic. Um, and to go with it, we got a brand new um, artist uh, hard, you know, audio hard drive from OWC, nice 14 gig, excuse me, terabyte. We don't do gigs anymore. Uh, 14 terabyte uh, drive. And um, so it's great. The system is just screaming. Uh, and since then, uh, it's, you know, we're running um, the latest version of Monterey. A lot of audio software is not up to date yet for Ventura, so uh, word to the wise uh, right now. This is October 30th, 2022. Do not <laughs> update yet. There are quite a few software publishers putting out warnings not to do that yet. Uh, one or two have announced that they're compatible. Like I just heard uh, Melodyne 
is compatible with Ventura uh, as of like this morning, I think. But yeah, uh, always, always, always wait before you update OSs when you're doing this kind of work. Um, yeah, I will usually let one or two go by before I do an update. Um, so, uh, but we're doing fine right now, running uh, the latest Monterey version and uh, and also the latest versions of uh, Nuendo and Pro Tools and Logic. Um, and you know, it's we're in this uh, transitional period right now where you know Apple has these silicon, you know, the new Apple silicon chips, the M1 and now the M2, uh, and so much software has been ported over to run natively on those chips but there's still some that hasn't been and the rule is uh you know even if your daw is apple silicon native if your plugin is not it will not run in the native in a native setup um you know what you can do is you can run most of the most DAWs, I think most software will run in Rosetta 2, which is the emulation of the Intel chip. And um, so the interesting thing that I know I was able to do with Nuendo, and, and Nuendo, by the way, is the same as Cubase. They're both Steinberg products. Nuendo is sort of the, the, um, the bigger granddaddy of Cubase, although really what they say is the marketing is that the difference is that they added post-production features. I'm old school. I've been using Nuendo since 2001, I think, or since and like uh, since version two, and uh, I bought it back when it was just for audio, <laughs> and and you know it was always easier and cheaper to just pay the update and then switch over to Cubase anyway. So, um, so that's why I'm on Nuendo. But uh, the nice thing about the Steinberg products is uh, you can actually duplicate the the app icon in your applications folder. And you can then do get info and you can set one version for native and one version for Rosetta and just relabel it as such and then put them both in the dock of a Mac. This is sorry, PC people. This is for Mac. Um, and uh, and then, you know, you have some flexibility, which is kind of cool because, uh, you know, there are, there's one major, major product that has not ported to uh to native yet, which is uh, Universal Audio's UAD2 plugins. Um, and there's some specifics about this, so I want to be very clear. So uh, I think they actually say on their website that they have ported to uh, Apple Silicon, but the issue with Steinberg DAWs is that in their current versions, they will not run VST2 plugins anymore. They will only run VST3. And mind you, Steinberg are the authors of the VST spec. They are they are the ones who create, update, and maintain the VST spec. Uh, VST3 has been out for years. It's not new. Um, I don't remember exactly when it hit, but it's been out for a long time, uh, at least two or three years. And... Uh, and, you know, UA, Universal Audio, just never ported their stuff over to VST3. And the speculation, which I think is probably correct, is that uh, there were side-chaining capabilities built into the VST3 spec that were not compatible with the way the UAD2 software accessed um, their own chips, because UAD2 
will only run off of universal audio hardware and chips, you know, they're, they're shark chips. Um, so that there was an incompatibility there with VST3, uh, and that makes a lot of sense. It's speculation, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, what Universal Audio has done is on their Spark plugins, which they've just released that are native, uh, those do run in VST3, and they are Apple Silicon compatible. So, uh, and so when I run um, Nuendo in the Apple Silicon mode, the Spark plugins do come up, but um, you know, UA has been pretty silent about how they're going to uh, deal with this issue. Uh, the you know uh, Drew on their uh, their representative on the Facebook forum just sort of very vaguely promised that they're going to do something, <laughs> and but actually what he did say, which was which was actually very specific, was that that they were going to do something before before Rosetta 2 became not available as an option anymore. That is not a very comforting promise. Uh, that is probably going to be a few years. So I don't know if they're going to do something before then, but you know, that doesn't really help me. Um, it's true I can run in Rosetta 2 mode and have access to all my UAD2 plugins, uh, but I'm really not getting any much of the benefit of the Apple Silicon chip at that point because it's running in an emulation of the Intel chip. Um, and there's a noticeable difference in the performance between the two. So, um, you know, it, it's disappointing, but unfortunately, it's also somewhat in line with the way I feel UA has prioritized their customers in years gone by. Uh, they've spent an awfully long time uh, as like the big kid on the playground. Um, you know, I've been using their stuff for probably 18 years or something. Like I, I had a four card UAD one system back in the day, like in 2005, 2004. And, um, you know, there have been times when, you know, like when they switched from PCI to PCIe cards, where they were just like, sorry, you know, you're out of luck. You just have to buy all new cards. And and that wasn't the same moment when they updated to UAD2. It wasn't like you got an upgrade in your processing. I would have been okay with that, actually, if, if I had to buy all new cards, but I got double the processing power. But it was it was no for the exact same experience. We want you to spend 5000 or $6,000 more and, like, buy your same cards you already have all over again. So, um, y- you know, things like that have happened. And, and in general, you know, just the way they don't let customers sell individual plugins, licenses, you know, you have to sell all your plugins or none. That was always very self-serving, I found, for, you know, for the company. Like, just not giving yeah you know, they're the only company that does that every other company lets their lets customers sell individual plugins so i i've just always found that like certain companies like apple avid and ua you, you know take a sort of aggressive stance against their own customers you know of, of like maximizing you know the value to them as opposed to trying to provide the greatest value and you know, on all three counts, their attitude is, "Well, we make the best products, so take it or leave it." And you know, okay, fine, fair enough. But and I do, I take it. You know, I have all three of their products, but I am sure not going to shed a tear when 
you know, a better option comes along. And I'm kind of almost there. You know, it's uh, it's there's been some interesting um, YouTubes I've seen from other users uh, talking about alternatives that they're using for UAD plugins. And I've been finding on my own the same thing, which is, you know, just just for the uh, ability to go native uh, with the processing, um, I've been finding myself reaching for a lot of alternatives lately. Um, I think, uh, you know, Plugin Alliance really uh, broke open that that business a lot by not only that's a funny story because Plugin Alliance not only is making incredibly high quality product and making it very very affordable. I mean, these guys are just constantly running sales where their plugins you know, that are normally $300 or selling for $30. I mean, constantly like, uh, but they're, they're all, they also offer the only subscription plan I know of that actually is, I think better for the user, you know, for, better for the customer. Um, I've, I, the second they offered, um, their mega subscription, I jumped on it. And, um, I know normally it's 250 a year, uh, but that's to get literally everything, like you know, like 125, 150 titles or something. Uh, but they and they have all different tiers of of subscriptions. You can go, you know, mix master bundle. There's lots of. You, you don't have to do it that high, but um, but you know, the again, the quality is so great, and the and the the irony, the funny thing is that they already make a large portion of the plugins that UA is selling anyway, <laughs> you know, um, a lot. I mean, I, I would venture to say 15, 20% maybe. Um, and, and in the same way, um, you know, Softube makes a lot of the better plugins that you, that UA is selling as well. So I, I find that particularly funny that like, um, you know, that, so many of these great titles you can get i mean and they're they are exactly the same code by the way uh there is no difference whatsoever between the shadow hills compressor from plugin alliance and getting it through ua except for that it runs on the ua hardware um so and frankly to me that's a down that's a down point i'd rather have it native um but again it's where, where you never get huge sales you know like the, i mean somebody told me the formula for UA, like no matter how you chop their sales up, you can never end up spending less than like $110 per plugin. That's probably, I'm sure there are less expensive ones that that's not true for, but certainly for the good ones. Um, I don't know if that's, if that actually works out, but it seems to be every time I've ever looked at it, that it works out pretty close to that. But at any rate, um, you know, like I said, you know, if, if not the subscription, you can get you can get stuff at, at Brainworks for, uh, you know, or Plugin Alliance for for you know thirty dollars. It's just there's no comparison. So, um, and like I said, you know, the from their whole disposition, I, I won't shed a tear. You know, I, I am like I have a really big, really highly invested UA system. I have 14 cores on my main system and and more. Like there's a, an Apollo X4. There's a, there's a bunch of other pieces too. Um, you know, I, I am. I'm seriously considering, um, you know, selling it all off because it's just, 
you know, the, the way it's being serviced isn't working for me. But anyway, that's my beef. Um, so, you know, it, it's feel free to comment on this and, 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 and have an ongoing discussion about it. Uh, I know that, um, you know, I've seen people comment online, you know, things about, well, you know, yeah, but UA is still the cleanest or still the best. Eh. If you're saying that, I don't think you've done your research because, you know, I, I definitely have felt that way. I mean, uh, my current system, you know, I built up through gritted teeth. Like I've never, you know, because every penny you give them, every every plugin you buy, you know you can't sell. You know, you know there's no resale value to it. So every time I've given them anything, it's been through gritted teeth. I have, I've never wanted to. Um, but I still did because they were the best. So, you know, I'm coming from that perspective. Yeah. So when I say like, I'm finding alternatives that I like as much or more, it's not for lack of experience. Um, and actually that's a good segue because, uh, one thing that just happened recently was, uh, SSL, uh, just put out a really exciting new plugin. Um, uh, you may have, you may remember that uh, in the spring uh, we added the SSL UC1, which is this uh, hardware controller for plugins. Basically, it's the simplest way to put it. Um, they they tried to uh, give you hardware control of a channel strip, basically, and then in a cool kind of way they tucked uh, hardware control for their bus compressor just smack in the middle of this thing. So it, it's um, it's EQs on the left, and then you know some general control stuff in the bottom in the middle, and on the right side it's dynamics. Um, so it really feels like an SSL channel strip. And then in the middle you got it, there's actually a VU like meter like there would be on on uh, you know 500 series uh, SSL compressor and and. And the hardware controls. All of that is controlling plugins, of course. It's not. It's not uh, hardware, but um, but it's nice. It's nice to have hardware control of these plugins. None of this would mean anything to me except for the fact that the plugins sound great. They really do. Um, and uh, you know, I had I had bought the bus compressor on the very first version because when they first introduced it. I either got it for free or I got it for like $10 or $20. I mean, it was something really, really, really low where like with total skepticism and no need for it, I got it anyway. Yeah. And I think back at the, back at that point, I was using UAD's uh, G series, you know, compressor, which is good. And, and I was always very happy with it. And, and their E series channel strip, which again, great plugin. I was always very happy with that. I loved it. Um, I was never a big fan of the wave stuff, uh, but but the UAD versions I liked very much. Um, I should throw in as a side note, uh, Plugin Alliance also makes uh, a bunch of um, SSL you know simulations, and and they're very good. They're very very good. In particular, their J series strip is is very nice, um, and their Townhouse compressor is really nice. Um, you know, this stuff is great. Uh, I would never, you know, say it's not, but even when I, when I had those things, I still tended to lean toward the UAD stuff. So that's my hierarchy, if, if you will, um, of which one I really liked better. 
I think what put the SSL E channel above for me was that they had simulated the um, the input transformer, and it was just such a great thickening effect. You know, it just made it smack so hard. I really loved it. Um, so I think that's probably what won the day with that. So along comes SSL. That first version of the bus compressor was nice. Um, you know, for whatever the 10 bucks or free that I got it for, you know, I kind of was like, eh, that's nice. And then I never used it again and I almost forgot that I had it. And then whatever it was two years later, uh, I don't know how long it took, but, uh, when they finally came out with version two, the version two of the bus compressor and the channel strip were both specifically designed and coded to go with the UC1 hardware. And it was really, I mean, to my mind, it was like a new clean slate from the ground up kind of product, like um, really didn't bear resemblance to the first version at all. And the interesting thing was because I owned the bus compressor, I was able to update it to version two for free. So that was wild. And uh, so I said, what the hell? And I did it. And that did blow my hair back. Like I thought that was like it was amazing. And at the time that I did that, I owned uh, AudioScape's hardware SSL clone, you know, uh, bus compressor. And to be honest, even without anything in comparison, I never really loved that compressor. And um, having something else to compare it to. You know, informed me as to why I didn't love it that much. And I think the reason why was uh, when you sort of, you know, when you, when you applied it, when you did the SSL thing, you know, which should have produced, you know, glue and punch, um, the punch was in a weird place on the audioscape. And sorry, Chris, I love you. You know, I have tons of your stuff. But this one piece, uh, you know, the 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 quote unquote punch was like up at like 4K, which is not where it belongs. And um, from the samples I've you know heard and and the few times I've been able to get on you know uh, branded SSL hardware, um, that punch usually is more around. It's in the low mids, you know. Uh, it's usually more of like a four to eight hundred thing, um, and without with magically not getting muddy, you know. That's sort of the magic of that compressor. Uh, there's like an oomph to it that that doesn't get muddy. Um, but that 4K was like piercing, and and it didn't feel good. And um, and sure, it made a snare drum attack stick out, but I don't want that out of a compressor. Um, yeah, that's not actually punch. That's just like annoying. Um, so uh, when the when the version two of the SSL bus compressor came out, I actually sold the AudioScape, and um, and I guess it was well when I when when I finally came around to thinking I might want to buy the UC one, um, it was with this confidence of already owning the bus compressor and loving it, and. You know, feeling like, well, if the bus compressor is this much better, they must have done a pretty good job on the channel strip. And I just said, screw it. I bought the UC1. And sure enough, the channel strip was just as good, if not even better. You know, I was thrilled with it. Um, 
yeah, SSL has innovated uh, this anti-cramping filter, which you have to read about that. Um, yeah, there, there's also uh, other YouTubes that have gone into detail describing this, but um, it, it's an effect of um, what happens with equalization on the very high end as you're approaching uh, the Nyquist frequency. Um, and, um, you know, audio uh, artifacts that can happen up there. And, um, and what basically, I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of describing it. You'll have to Google it. But, um, but the bottom line is what a lot of manufacturers do to compensate for this issue is, is they add oversampling, uh, either as an option or more often uh, just under the hood. And so that's why you'll see uh, latency on, on the higher quality plugins. Um, you know, uh, I mean, UAD, one of the things they've done for a long, long time, uh, particularly like their Pultec uh, plugins, is they will actually sample rate convert. And, and that lets them avoid the problem that way, too. It, it's about getting the garbage that's being created, like, out of the audio spectrum, like, way high so we can't hear it. Um, but so SSL innovated this filter that doesn't have to oversample, doesn't have to sample rate convert. And, um, and you know what? It works. It's really, really fantastic. And it's in the channel strip plugin. It's also in, uh, what are they called, the X2? Uh, they have... Uh, here I, I got it here. Um, oh, <laughs> I don't have it because I'm running a native version. Um, all right. Well, they. Uh, I think it's called the X2. It's their EQ, their new EQ, um, and and it's just it's unbelievably clean on the top end in a way that a lot of other plugins aren't. And the nice thing about that, in particular, with the channel strip, is uh, they also made it very low latency. So they want you to be able to put up 24 of these. The whole idea is they want you to put this on every channel and basically run it like you have an SSL console. And uh, and they even have this 360 software that is kind of cool. I, I don't find it very useful, but uh, it's like you can <laughs> you can see all of your SSL channel strips like in a row like it was an SSL console. I mean, it's kind of got a wow factor, but I don't really find myself mixing on it. Like it's just kind of like, oh, that's neat, you know, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in the future I'll, I'll end up using it more. But, um, but at any rate... Uh, it's, you know, um, anyway, the, the point being that anti-cramping filter on the EQs, when, you're, when you've got multiple instances, you really feel the difference at that point. I mean, you put up, you know, 20, 24 versions of any other channel strip, and, you, you're, and you'll notice the difference between the two. I mean, uh, Plugin Alliance did something interesting to try to sort of address that issue. Well, they didn't, it doesn't address that issue, but what they did was they, they have a TMT technology that just like randomizes uh, the response of each channel strip so that trying to simulate how, you know, the hardware channels in an actual mixer might wear differently over time. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, who was I watching? Uh, the white sea studios. Uh, I, I gotta find out his name, the, the Dutch guy. He's so funny. Um, but uh, he was talking about that in a video saying, uh, uh, sorry to borrow your, your, uh, your joke there, buddy. But, uh, it was just like the, you know, the people making the software are trying to make it, you know, defective in the way the hardware is defective and the people making the hardware are trying to make it perfect in the way the software naturally is. And they both, you know, working at different ends and, and, 
you know, maybe they should switch jobs was his joke. And it's a good joke. <laughs> but, um, but at any rate, uh, you know, so that does not address that cramping issue, though, of, of just multiple instances of, of the same EQ over and over again. Um, so SSL did this innovative thing, and it's great. Um, so what they did just now uh, is, in the last two weeks, is they released uh, a brand new channel strip uh, software called uh, 4KB. It's, it's their simulation of, you know, the really classic, um, you know, 4000B console, uh, which was like their first production console. Um, and it's really fun. Uh, they did. They really did a great job of creating an alternative to what they already had. And um, even though there's like a, a switch on the original channel strip to to put the EQ into E mode, uh, it's it's different. This is a whole different beast. And you know the 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 design of the uh, the compressor is different. There's an auto. Uh, um, uh, blah, 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 blah. what am I saying? Uh, there's an auto release setting on on the compressor. Uh, also, they they updated the original channel strip, you know, so that both channel strips now have features like a mix control, which is really cool. They didn't have that before, um, so you can do like a parallel compression kind of thing, um, and it's nice. Like I, I kind of like leaving it around 80, um, so it isn't like all the way there. But um, and they've added uh, width control on stereo channels, uh, you know, for widening. Uh, it, it's just they've added some really, really nice things. Uh, and then the, the biggest thing, aside from the fact that the entire channel strip is just thicker, punchier, you know, a little more old school, um, they added the thing that I loved so much about the UADE channel, which is they added the simulation of the Jensen transformer on the input. And it's, you know, it's fantastic. It's fantastic on theirs, too, where, you, you know, you just crank that thing up and you get thick punch. You know, it's just fan it's amazing on drums and bass and on heavy guitars. And, you know, um, it's just it, it really makes the whole thing so different from the other channel strip. And meanwhile, the other channel strip, which was modeled after like the 9000, I think, J series, uh, you know, is great in its own way. Like it, is, it is not thick and punchy the way the 4KB is, but it has a much more open and clear top end. So between the two of them, you know, I really see using them both on every single mix. You know, it's like cymbals, 9,000, you know, kick and snare, 4,000, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, and depending on the artist and depending on the music, you know, which one you'd use on the vocals or the guitars or, you know. I see like acoustic guitar, things with like really, you know, um, you know, chimey, high end, fast transients, you know, the 9000, get that clarity up there. Um, but, you know, on bass, there's no contest of the 4KB sounds incredible. So, um, so this was great. It was a really nice addition. It made the value of the product, the, the UC1 product altogether, you know, really great you know because anyone who owned that could just download the new channel strip obviously as part of the package and have to pay for it and my understanding is that they're working on yet a third channel strip so that's even more exciting um and uh you know for me uh i you know my i have i have as you've seen from you know other podcasts and pictures and everything i have the api box analog console so why am I talking about all these plugins? Uh, I had some guy on YouTube uh, comment 
like, oh, you need to get that API uh, out of your workflow because you're, you know, you're using plugins anyway. Like, well, buddy, uh, you know, you've got a, a way to go. Um, you know, every these days, every setup is a hybrid setup, no matter what you're working on. I mean, you could be on, um, you know, the biggest, baddest analog console in the world, and you're still going to be using some plugins. Um, and the trick is using tools where they work the best and where they help the most. Um, and the, the API box, you know, uh, the left side, the eight channels on the left, which are designed for recording, uh, have the 500 series rack there. So every one of those eight channels has a 500 series slot. And, you know, I keep those stocked with amazing equalizers and, uh, the right side, which is the summing side is 16 channels in and each one of those has an insert, but there's no built-in EQ. There's no built-in 500 series. Um, so it's flexible. You know, if I want to put an analog chain on any of those channels, it's super easy. I can just patch it in. But um, but they're not. They don't come automatically that way. So um, you know what I've been finding that I'm doing is creating you know, groups in the DAWs, you know, and uh, like STEM outputs, if you will. And, um, and I've got, I've got it all templated to go to the box. And this is in my previous, um, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's in my YouTube. So I think it's in my previous um, podcasts as well. But, you know, it, I have just labels, you know, that just stay on the API. Um, and, and so I know, like, okay, my acoustic guitars go here, electric guitars there, keys there, so on. And, um, you know, and what I'll generally do is um, run these SSL channel strips on on all of those groups. And, you know, there's the recall factor, which is nice, but there's also just, they sound like SSLs. Like, you know, the sound coming out of these things really is great. Um, and why not use them? You know, it's the same thing about selling off the Audioscape, you know, uh, compressor because the plugin sounded better. I mean, that was a really weird moment for me. That was the first time in my life I ever sold a piece of hardware because, because the software sounded better, but you know, strange things like that are probably going to happen more and more as time goes on. But, you know, that being said, you know, I still love all my hardware too, um, so it's just nice to have the options and, um, you know, and to have a really good quality compressor EQ available on every channel if I need it. Um, and again, with that being said, what an interesting thing has been happening, which is my analog workflow has been evolving more and more toward I feel what the board was designed to do. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, when I first got the thing, uh, like, for the first, two, you know, couple of weeks, I was like, yay, analog, and just, you know, doing everything analog. And then I think, you know, an artist probably asked me to recall a mix, and I was like, ugh, you know, this sucks. <laughs> like, this, this, you know, how many knobs I have to, you know, set, and there's no way I can get this to be exactly right again. Um, and I kind of recoiled and went exactly the other way and was like, okay, screw this, and I'm going to do everything in the box, but I'll just use the API for summing. And, and then, you know, little by little, it's been going the other way. It's been, okay, I'm going to use 
you know, the left side of the board with the analog EQs uh, for drums because it really makes a difference to get those analog EQs on the drums. And, and yeah, okay, I'll, I'll patch inserts of analog compressors because that really makes a difference too. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, little by little it was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bypass all the faders on the right side so I don't have to remember fader positions. But maybe on the vocals and the bass, you know, I'll use some analog inserts and... And little by little, it's just been like, ugh, you know, it just sounds like I, I want to go with what sounds best. And um, the last straw was I finally, uh, I, I forgot why, why it was or what session it was, but I finally was like, I got sick of the, the trying to bypass the analog faders. I think part of it was that like, um, actually, I know exactly why this happened, which is the, the design of... The box console, and I've talked about this before, is that the the mix bus hits the built-in uh, stereo compressor if you decide to use it that way. It can also be put on channels, um, and then it goes to the mix insert. And the thing about the mix insert is there is no level control. So um, you know if you get a little bit of mix creep going on, uh, your faders start going up. You know. Um, then there's no way to, to trim that down. Uh, so if you're trying to use analog hardware on your mix bus, you end up sending, you know, a way too hot level. And, um, and that's a drag, <laughs> that's a huge drag. Um, and so then what happens? So then what do you do? Particularly if I'm bypassing the faders on the, on the API, the only real solution is to pull down the outputs from the DAW. And it's like, okay, fine, good. You pull down your outputs from your DAW. You can group them all, pull them down at the same time. No big deal, right? Right, except for the fact that you just affected all of your levels going to any of your inserts. So if you were using analog EQs or compressors, all of a sudden you screwed up those levels. You see where I'm going with this. Um, it's, you know, it's a pain. And, you know, whereas, it, so I finally just said, screw this, turned off the bypass on all the faders, started actually using the faders. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, I have, you know, I have a gain stage here that's, that is static that I don't have to mess with. You know, what, whatever's coming out of the DAW can go into you know, the API, I can go to the inserts and I can never screw with that level again. And then I can do all of my adjustments just from the faders. It's just made more sense. And, you know, the, the issue of recall is still an issue. I mean, you know, I think my feeling about it is, I mean, I'm lucky because like, uh, most of what the mixing I've been doing lately has been for Matt Friedman and, you know, he's doing country, man. It's just all about being big and smack and just, you know, and it's just getting that API sound and that huge bottom end and everything. And, you know, he, he cares about how it sounds. And, um, and this is the best way to get the best sound. Um, and, but what I've found is I'd rather do it this way and have to re just rebuild the mix. Even if I don't have perfectly documented settings, you know, I did the mix. You know, I can just build it again and just make it, and it'll sound great again. It's really not that big a deal. Um, and uh, it also gives me the kind of freedom to, like, if, if I'm getting mix creep or anything like that, like, screw it, man. I'll just pull all the faders down and just, you know, build the faders back up in 30 seconds <laughs> and, and, and problem solved, you know. Um, so, so that's, 
you know, that's cool. And, um, and frankly, you know, it's very, it's incredibly high end faders. I mean, I actually think it sounds good going through all of this and, um, and just the flexibility it affords, you, you just can't beat, you know, uh, I, I'm finding myself just going old school. I mean, I, I did a lot of my learning live mixing and it's so much fun to just print the track in real time, you know, and, and be riding that lead vocal fader um and you know and pulling moves if you think they're right you know like uh moving background vocals up and down if you need to and you know there's a visceral performance to the mix that you know people like tom petty clung to long long after there was automation and you know ways around it you know because he just felt it you know you got a mixed performance that way and I guess that's that's the gas I'm feeling right now. It just, <laughs> you know, it just feels good, and um, and I'm just I'm enjoying the work, man. I'm enjoying doing it that way. So um, so that's where I'm at, and and the way I look at it is this is the way the board was designed to be used, and uh, and it feels great. So um, you know, it's an evolution, man. If you're not trying to improve yourself, then you might as well quit. You know, it's it's all about you know never stopping the learning and never stopping you know to move along and you know um there's so much information out there these days um you know i i will pop into warren hewitt's posts and and you know it's a lot of stuff is stuff i knew already and heard before but maybe i've thought about so many other things i forgot about it and whatever I mean, he had a post recently about how important it was for him in his career to get the low end right and how, you know, he scoops out a little hole for the bass out of the kick drum at 100 hertz or whatever and, and, um, and you know, uses a sub you know, a, a subharmonic synthesizer. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I used to do that. Why haven't done that lately? And, and you know, uh, the, the side chaining thing is something I've, I've done for a long time, you know, with uh, where you side chain an EQ on the kick drum, you know, from the bass um and just put a little a little dip you know um at you know 100 hertz or whatever um just to let the bass you know come in a little bit more uh so that's uh, or it depends on the music so other music you want to make room for the attack of the kick drum you know and, the, and do it go the other way so um it, it there's all kinds of great things to do and uh, it's a never-ending learning process um but anyway so this was uh a little unfocused as a podcast goes, but there was a lot to update. And the bottom line is uh, I'm doing it. I'm working. I'm having fun. And we're putting out music that's great and people are hearing. Uh, like I said, you know, Matt's new single is doing great and we're putting out more and more. Um, so uh, thanks, everybody, for hanging in. And uh, the YouTube channel's really been taken off lately. So please go on there and check some of that stuff out. And, you know, let's have a conversation, comment, and, you know, uh, you know, leave me reviews if you like, like what's going on. Or if you don't like what's going on, just send me a private message. That doesn't have to be in a review. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to, to share, share information. And, um, and we, can all, we can all get better at what we're doing. And, um, but I think that the post I did, uh, the video that I did for uh, the six-month point that I'd had the API has over 20,000 views right now. And I, I love that. I think it's fun. 
I think it's funny because you know to me it's just a side thing. I don't buy, I don't do you know logos and intro splash screens and and chapters and all that crap. But you know, I just put up my phone and tell you what I think. And so if that was enough to get twenty thousand views, I think something's going right. Right. So um, great. So thanks, guys, and happy recording, mixing, and music production to everybody. And uh, happy Halloween. Right. Take care. Bye bye.